I'm here to be an all-time great. great. Now rocking with the best. Perfect yellow, perfect yellow, perfect yellow, perfect yellow. The Lakers repeat back-to-back title. Welcome to the Big Baby Jonathan Sports Podcast. Oh, he's smoking hot. The latest Laker news. Another great Showtime feed. The greatest Laker show. This is going to be legendary for a long time. This is the Big Baby Jonathan Sports Podcast. Lakers all day. Go Lakers! What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Big Baby Jonathan here. Welcome to Laker Talk 101 with my co-host, Jonathan Mathis. Jonathan Mathis, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing, big baby? It's always a pleasure, man. I'm I'm doing well. Ready to talk some NBA today. Yeah, we, speaking of NBA, speaking of basketball, we got former Phoenix Sun scout Antonio Williams. Antonio Williams, thank you for coming on Laker Talk 101. Man, no, I appreciate it, man. I'm I, I'm glad that both you and Jonathan both have me. It's easy to remember the name, so mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, and, and looking forward to uh, having this conversation for sure. Yeah, most definitely, man. But in today's show, we're going to talk about Zion Williamson. What does he need to do to get better in Laker bubble? So let's first let's start by talking about uh, the scouting department. So you used to be a former scout for the Suns. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, it's a great job because it allows you to really see the game. And actually, it's very subjective, right? So you're taking a lot of your experiences and the way that you see the game, and you're using that when you're evaluating players, deciding who you're going to draft, deciding who you're going to trade for, et cetera. So, and for me, having that experience of being in Nike basketball, and, and that was at the intersection of the great Kobe Bryant, um, uh, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant, it, it provides a lot of perspective for your scouting, right? And so um, seeing those guys, not only seeing them up close and personal playing, but seeing them prepare for their respective seasons is something that when you're scouting, you're looking for guys that can do those things as well. And you also figure out quickly how guys aren't those three guys, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to look at some of their warts as a player and reconcile and reconcile with those when you're looking at, because again, most guys aren't Kobe, KD and LeBron, right? So Mm -hmm. you use them as a reference but you also realize that most guys aren't them and you're going to have to reconcile with some of their warts and draft them anyway, right? So um, with that being said, um, it was a great learning experience for me. And then also, too, coupling that with being at ESPN and scouting high school guys as well. So a lot of these guys, when they became professionals and they were going through the college ranks as as well, I saw them when they were in high school when I was at ESPN. So being able to kind of put that whole pot together and make a meal is something that I felt like worked to my advantage for sure. And also the other thing, when I was scouting those high school guys when I was at ESPN, working in in college basketball sports marketing when I was at Nike, you're building relationships with high school and AAU uh, grassroots program coaches, college coaches, et cetera. And you rely on those relationships when you get to the NBA. So so for me, I guess my, my background was a little bit different than your traditional NBA lifer that the only thing that they've done is worked in the NBA. Not certain, not necessarily better, just different, right? Yeah. And um, so I relied on those uh, relationships 
and those experiences as well when I was evaluating guys when I was sitting in, the, in, that, in that seat as a scout. Yeah, speaking of scouting, man, so Zion Williamson, as a scout, what do you see from Zion that he needs to work on to get better? Well, you, you know, one of the things that Alvin Gentry and the, um, the New Orleans Pelicans organization has done, mm -hmm. they've done a great job with maximizing Zion as a player and maximizing his, his talents and his gifts. So when you watch him at Duke from a scouting perspective, he was on the floor with two things, immense talent around him, and a great point guard that knew where to get him the ball in his most favorable spots, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then you look at that talent, he's on the floor with Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, two shot fabricators as well, right? And these guys can make offense for themselves and for other people. So now you, and you couple that with Trey Jones as a great point guard, understanding where Zion should get the ball. Then you got a great coach in, in Coach K. What they did was, if you watch Zion, he scored in transition, he scored on offensive rebounds. And then because he's so explosive and he's so strong, similar to what Milwaukee does with Giannis, they got um, Zion the ball while he was on the move. Even when he was posting up, they would run across screen. He would come across. Then they would throw him the ball. And he can just catch it and be explosive. It was always on the move because he's a little bit undersized as a power forward, right? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, and sometimes at Duke, he played the five. So he's still a little bit undersized. So you don't want him to score when the defense is set, and now you're asking him to constantly score over length and athleticism. It's one thing to do that in college. It's another thing to do that in the NBA, right? So I'm sure you guys will see when Milwaukee plays, someone will bring the ball up, and Giannis will come running straight up the floor, and they'll give him the ball. Now he's making a move mm -hmm. on the move, mm -hmm. right? And that's the same way New Orleans does things for Zion. So he scores in transition, offensive rebounds, and when he gets the ball on the move. And, the, and, the, and then the third thing they have, again, they have a great coach in Alvin Gentry. Same formula at Duke. And then from a personnel standpoint, he's on the floor with Brandon Ingram, probably the most improved player, right? Great score. Drew Holiday. J.J. Redick as a shooter, and then the other thing that's very similar to Duke, a point guard that understands passing the ball and getting your, getting your guys the ball in their most favorable spots. That's Lonzo Ball, right? So you, there was a play in particular where Zion rolled to the rim, and Lonzo put it right on the rim. So this all plays in Zion's uh, favor as he's learning the nuances of the NBA. So the things he needs to improve on, obviously shooting right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing he needs to improve on for sure, especially being undersized because as the games get more heightened in intensity and they, they play against better teams, they're going to have court Zion. So they're going to force him to score over NBA level length and athleticism at the rim. So they're going to have courting, right? So in order to combat that, he's got to become a better shooter. That's the first thing, mm -hmm. right? And then the second thing is he also too is very left-hand dominant off the bounce, mm -hmm. right? Even when he starts going to his right, he's going to come back to his left. So if he's going to be an undersized four or when they go really small, play him at the five because he's so strong, he's got to become more versatile as a ball handler. And he has the capacity to do that, right? So he's going to have to do that. That's the other thing. And then also, and this happens with any rookie, we're seeing this again, these guys are former Lakers. We're seeing this with, Brandon Ingram and, and Lonzo Ball, right? And, and to a certain extent, Josh Hart. 
once you get experience and once you get very confident in your work from a skill perspective, the game slows down for you, right? And then you start seeing all of these areas where you can exploit the way people are covering you because from a skill perspective, you can do everything, right? So the game has to slow down for him. Right now, he's playing really, really fast. Mm-hmm. It's got to slow down for him. Mm-hmm. And um, But having said that, there's two things that he does. He plays with the right basketball character. So he always plays hard. So he's going to make a play so he's not going to fail because he plays hard. The second thing that's underrated about him, mm-hmm. he's got a great basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. He can pass, right? Most guys that you see that are power players – that's the only way that they can get off. They don't have the nuances of the game. LeBron and, and, and um, Zion are different in that regard. Most power players rely on power only. Well, Zion sees the game very well also. And most power guys don't because all they see is tunnel vision. I'm just going to buffalo somebody. Yeah. Right? Well, he's got a great basketball IQ, sees the game very well, can bring the ball up and fabricate and initiate offense for other players like LeBron does, you know, as a power player also. So those are the things that I see. And, of course, everybody knows the conditioning aspect. And he's already started that. Mm-hmm. But um, the conditioning aspect of it. And uh, once the game slows down, it's going to be scary, man, because then he's going to learn how to back guys down and really use his strength and his body as leverage. And once he does that and he's a better shooter, it's going to be hard for everybody in the league. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Sometimes when I see – uh, Zion play just tries to do the bully ball spin, and he like his mid range is uh, there, three points there, but I feel like he needs to slow it down because I see like he tries to go quick and spin, and then they deflect the ball out of his hands, and then he turns it over. He needs to work on that, you know, and the sh- and uh, his weight too. He needs to get down, you know, get like get LeBron size, and he'll be good. So Jonathan Mathis, what do you, what do you think about Zion Williamson? What do you, does he need to work on? Well, I think he definitely has potential to be super, a superstar in this league. He definitely mm-hmm. has our talent but I feel as if the Pelicans are treating him as though he just came off of an injury I think you need to give him more playing time because that will help with his development in the future and you know if he's going to become a better shooter give him more playing time don't limit his minutes that's uh, very puzzling to me that they have limited his minutes I get it you know you want to you know preserve his health you want to make sure He's in good shape and, and, and stays fit down the stretch. But you got to give him more playing time because that's the only way he'll catch on and be able to learn as a player. And he will get better in time. Um, I just feel like he doesn't look like like he did in spring training. He looks like he's he took a step backwards. And I think, you know, if you're going to get better, you, you utilize him. You, you put him in the offense. He has incredible playmakers around him. Um, you know, we've seen Brandon Ingram get a lot better. He, he's probably, in my opinion, the most improved player in this league. Yes, right now. I agree. Um, then you look at um, what Lonzo Ball can do. Maybe not the best shooter in the world, but he's definitely a playmaker. And that could set up uh, great scoring opportunities for a guy like Zion Williamson. If he gets the weight down and if he, you know, works on his shot, he's definitely going to be a, a, a superstar in this league, and that's scary for the rest of the league. No, no question. I agree. And, you know, one of the things, Jonathan, too, when you look at guys, um, you know, what they're doing is, and, and, and I totally understand this, and I can say this as a, pr- a player, 
you have to save us from ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And, and you guys know this as Laker fans. Kobe was out there shooting, and his right shoulder was dislocated, and he was playing with his left hand. They probably should have sat him down, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because when you have a, a, a talent like this, mm-hmm. you want to make sure, because ask Portland, and granted, Portland has done an amazing job of rebuilding on the fly, but look at their franchise. There are a couple of things that happened to the Trailblazers that Damian Lillard has helped the, the Trailblazer fans and the NBA forget, right? Two things, Greg Oden and, Brand, and, and Brandon Roy, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Two, and, and again, people, and when people, let's talk about Greg Oden for a little bit. Because when people talk about him as a bust, I can tell you this as a, not only working in this league, but just being a nerd of the NBA, when a person's body betrays them, you cannot call them a bust. Mm. Not their fault, right? That's different than you not doing the work. His body betrayed him, not his fault. Mm-hmm. nothing he can do about that and so and then you saw the years that Brandon Roy had as a, a, an incredible player mm-hmm. was going toward being a top 10 or 15 player in the world and his knees gave out on him right mm-hmm. and so when you look at that and, and when you're drafting and when you're when I'll say this and you guys know this as Laker fans when you win it and you guys got 16 of those things when you win a title right with the exception of, and Dirk is on the cusp of this, but with the exception of the 2011 Mavs and the 2004 Pistons, right? And it gets overblown that the 2004 Pistons weren't talented because that's not true, right? They're like, oh, man, they did it without stars. Really? Chauncey Billups, third pick in the draft. Rasheed Wallace, fourth pick in the draft, right? Ben Wallace, the best defensive player and rebounder in the league. Right, um, Rip Hamilton, another lottery pick. Tayshawn Prince, a first-round pick. They were loaded, mm-hmm. right? So I say that because, but referencing both of those teams, and Dirk is on the cusp of this argument. If you're going to win a title in the NBA, you have to have a guy on your roster that's in the conversation for the top ten, top fifteen to twenty players of all time, mm-hmm. right? When you win a title. You got to have a guy on your roster that's in that conversation. And, and most teams, you can make an argument, they have a couple guys that are on that roster that are at least in the conversation for the top 50 of all time, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have a guy that is trending toward that or you think he has the ability to do that, as a franchise, you got to protect him at all costs because the, only the Lakers, if you look at the NBA – only the Lakers really have the luxury because of the market that they're in being in LA and being the marquee team in LA and what that carries worldwide. Only the Lakers have the luxury of essentially using the other teams in the NBA as farm teams. And you put in all the R and D to make sure that a player is great. And then once we see that he's great, we're going to get him. Only the Lakers can do that. Right. Yeah. So every other team in the league, when you have a guy that you feel is of that ill, you got to protect him at all costs. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that that's one of the and you got to protect these guys from themselves because they're so competitive. They want to play all the time. They'll they'll play through anything. Right. Yeah. You, and you got to protect them. Yeah. yeah. I understand it. You know, it's not like like you said, Brandon Roy and Greg Oden, if they never got injured. 
positive for could have been winning championships because Greg Oden was talented, Brandon Roy was talented, you know. But uh, when you, when you say bust, like is Kwame Brown and Sam Bowie bust? Well, well, Sam Sam Bowie was also another guy that entered the NBA with foot problems, and mm. these are foot problems in the '80s, mm. right? And, and so, um, so a, a, again, um, a guy that it's hard to call him a bust because of that. Now, if you look at guys that don't perform up to their draft potential, let's say this. The NBA, again, is about, for most players, with the exceptions of the LeBrons or the ADs, those guys will be stars in whatever system or whoever the teammates are. Almost every other player, whether they're a star or a role player, they achieve that level of, of, of play partly because of the situation that they're in right? Mm -hmm. Their situation is just as important as their talent. Well, you look at Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown was a young guy coming from um, rural Florida, Mm -hmm. right? Or Georgia, I'm sorry. Coming through, was going to go to Florida. The momentum built and he actually became the number one pick in the draft. So coming, coming in, not understanding the business of the NBA and having to really figure out what that means, for a young guy that's trying to figure that out, it's a tough situation for him to all of a sudden be going from the, there was a reason why the Wizards got the number one pick in the draft because the year before they weren't very good, right? And so all of a sudden you go from not being very good and the organization taking you number one and living through your mistakes, right? All of a sudden you go from that to your first game on the floor being with Michael Jordan. Or your second game, I'm sorry, your second year, you're playing with Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. right? So now you go from a team that's built learning through your mistakes to playing with the greatest player of all time, mm-hmm. right? So now there's a culture of expectations. All of those steps that you have to take from a development standpoint are now skipped, right? Because now you're trying to win now. Yep. And so – and so that's what happened with him. And so, again, and we've talked about this big baby Jonathan before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kobe Bryant, if you talk about making players better, if there's an aspect of Kobe's game that's underrated, it's making guys better. Kwame Brown played the best basketball of his career with Kobe Bryant, right? Remember those teams that, that Kobe, their eight seeds, took him to the playoffs, should have beat the Suns in the first round. Kwame Brown was a very important piece for those teams, right? Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, very important piece for those teams. And so for a guy that's trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. it's probably tough to the first two teams you play for in your career, the Lakers, Kobe, I'm sorry, Michael in Washington, then Kobe in L.A., right? So – those expect expectations and all of those things. He probably would have been better served had he played on a team that maybe he played on a team where those expectations weren't there and they allowed him to gain a comfort level with being in the NBA, right? And, and, and so, um, so a lot of guys, when they fail or when they make it, it's because of their situations. Mm-hmm. And, and he was probably in probably not the best situation for him. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, Kwame Brown, um, to me, I see what you're talking about. He was a big part of that team with the Lakers, with the Suns. You know, he played defense. You know, he scored a basket. 
You know, I just sometimes when, like, he just – every time Kobe would throw him the ball, he would lose the ball, and sometimes he would get stripped down. I'm like, it happens in basketball. I get what you're saying. But, yes, speaking of the Lakers, um, we're going to dive into Lakers talk at the bubble. So what have you seen from the Lakers that you like in the first two games? Um, one of the things that I like um, for – especially in the first game against the Clippers, I like the defensive effort. And, mm-hmm. and you have to have – you got to win the turnover battle in the first game against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. You're going to shoot 39% from the field and win a game. You got to win the turnover battle. And they did 20 to 16. Mm-hmm. They turned the Clippers over 20 times. You got to win the rebounding battle. And they won it 79 to 68. So they were plus 11 on the glass. And, and that's what you have to do if you're going to shoot 39% from the field. Mm-hmm. So they're not shooting very well right now. And that's going to be the, th- the question that they have to answer, especially with Avery Bradley being out with how he was playing before we had the suspension in play, right? So the questions are with them, what happens from a shooting perspective and what happens from an sh- uh, offensive fabrication perspective when LeBron goes to the bench? That's what happened to them when they played the Raptors, right? So Deion Waiters played well in game one against the Clippers, not not as well against the Raptors, right? Mm-hmm. So having that person that can create offense when LeBron goes to the bench is the question that they're going to have to answer. And from a defensive standpoint, going back to that, one of the things that I liked as well was not only was LeBron guarding in game one, but I think they're going to have to, when he, when he gets in the game, they should make a concerted effort to get Kyle Kuzma in the game early because you know what he does? He defends when he scores early, right? Mm. Because especially in that Clipper game in particular, there were times where he was guarding Kawhi on an island and he was ready for it and mm. did a pretty good job. And so, but he was scoring early as well. So I would expect the Lakers and LeBron or whoever in particular, when Kyle comes off the bench, not only do they need to establish him to be that consistent third score, but you get more buy-in. He's more apt to help you defensively. He's more apt to help you on the glass if he feels like he's involved offensively. And he's not the only player in the world that's like that, Mm -hmm. right? But but they have to make a concerted effort to do that. Like one of the things that the Bulls used to do um, under Michael Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen teams under Phil Jackson is if you go back and you watch them play, one of the first things they used to do, guys, the first play of the game, it was almost scripted. Like football teams script their first 15 plays. Mm-hmm. First play of the game, oftentimes, they would throw the ball into Bill Cartwright. Let him try and get a bucket, right? Yeah. Establish those guys because you already know that Michael and Scotty are going to do their thing down the stretch, right? We already know LeBron and AD are going to do their thing down the stretch. We, those other guys need to, to uh, contribute, and they need to contribute handsomely if the Lakers are going to win this thing. And the last thing I like to say as well, these games are important for AD, right? Yeah, these games are very are. important for AD because when you look at him, the, he's, he's only played in the playoffs once, right? So these heightened atmosphere games, these t- games where they're playing these really good teams at the end of the season before the playoffs start are really important because what happened in that Clipper game, again, as the game got tighter, AD had like three points in the fourth quarter, right? So he's got to get used to what it feels like 
playing on a team that has some expectations and other teams are really locked in to beat you. He's got to get some experience. He's got to learn that on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. So this is very important to him. So those are the things that I really, really see when I'm watching them. And eventually, they're going to need J.R. Smith and Markeith Morris. Those guys are going to have to make some contributions. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, Antonio, the Lakers added shooting depth. They added guys who can contribute off the bench, who can be electrifying off the bench. I wanted to ask you, who is your sleeper? Deion Waiters or J.R. Smith? Who do you have and who are you rolling with? Well, I, I think if, if, if uh, I had to pick one, I, I would probably say at this point, it'd probably have to be Deion Waiters. But, um, you know, JR, they're going to need JR because what JR provides is not only a guy that can make shots, but JR, and so it's, two th- it's three things. He can make shots, he has experience in the playoffs and in the finals. But the third thing about that is he has experience in the playoffs, in the finals, playing with LeBron. So that's a, that's a hotter microscope that you're under. That's a bigger microscope. That's a hotter lens that you're under when you're doing it and you're playing with LeBron in year 17 because LeBron is a legacy guy, right? We're, we're talking about um, his legacy and how many, cha- how many championships LeBron wins directly correlates with his legacy. And he may be the only guy in the NBA right now that we're speaking in terms of being a legacy guy, right? Um, so, so would that be, that's currently playing. You can make an argument that KD is in that conversation as well. But LeBron is firmly in that conversation. And what I mean by being a legacy guy is if LeBron doesn't come out of his career with multiple championships, people, some people can consider his career an underachievement. I don't agree with that, but the, he's the only player in the NBA that's like that, right? I don't think Giannis is at that level yet where people are looking and saying, well, you know what? I don't think people look at Paul George that way. These are incredible players, but they don't look at them and say, man, if Paul George never wins a title, he's a fail- his career can be considered a failure. Mm-hmm. I don't think Paul George is in that category, right? It's only LeBron. So JR has that experience, not only that championship experience, but an experience playing next to LeBron when LeBron is probably the only legacy guy in the NBA right now. And – um so um, I think both of those guys will, will really be um, – um, if they're going to win it, they're going to have to contribute heavily. And then also I think they're going to have to get something from Markeith because what, the Lake, what they'll have to do is Markeith will offer them an opportunity to um, – if say if they're, they're playing AD at the five, if they can get Markeith – to give them some minutes at the four, that gives them an offensive threat at the four because oftentimes when they play AD at the, at the four and they bring Dwight at the five, Dwight is not as much of an offensive threat, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think they're going to need Markeith, and you, and you guys know this, when you look at teams that win championships, the stars do what the stars do. But at the same time, if you look at Golden State, for example, Andre Iguodala has a finals MVP. That's right? crazy. Yeah, it's you know, really crazy. So, right. So um, when you look at Miami and you look at some of the titles that LeBron won in Miami, um, Mike Miller plays, played a, a pretty big role on one of, those, uh, one of those runs, right? So when you're looking at teams and you're looking at teams that win titles, it's not just the stars. It's those other people as well contributing. And they're going to need that because, quite frankly, guys, the Clippers are deeper than them. 
right? When the Clippers are full strength, they're deeper. And that's the team that you're going to have to combat when you, you're trying to make this run. And it can't just be LeBron and AD, LeBron and AD. It can't be that. When you win titles, other guys make contributions. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, like I'm going to get back into the what I see from the Lakers. I, I see that um, sometimes we play lackadaisical on the offensive end. We just stand around. When LeBron's in the post, they stand around. I want them to cut. If you cut, they'll throw it to you. I want to see also Lakers when they give up, when they give up, when they give up on not give up when they're up like twelve or thirteen, they relax. And I don't like when they do that because when you you're up big and you relax, the team can see it and come back. I want us to execute better down the stretch. AD needs to play dominant in the fourth quarter, like you said against Clippers. He was dominant all throughout one, two, three. Soon he came fourth on three points. And same with Toronto game, he wasn't as aggressive like he was against the Clippers. He, all the passing that he did was good, but also too. Um, they double team the AD a lot, and I noticed the AD struggles when they double team him. Every time he gets double team, turn the ball over. You know, what I mean, so I just want to see Lakers get better. You know, and I agree with you that these games are important for AD uh, the role players because there's gonna be a situation where LeBron sits out and AD has to take over, or J.R. Smith or Kuzma. Kuzma is talented. I love his game, but I just want him to work on stop trying to emulate Kobe's moves. I understand that's your idol. I understand that's your idol, Cogs, but stop trying to. Do that fade away. It's not working. Go to something else. So Jonathan, what you think? Yeah, I'm allergic to complacency. Um, the Lakers tend to do that often. They they take a lead, they get into a commanding lead, and then they just blow it in the end. This game is a game of full 48 minutes. You got to play the full 48 minutes, and um, you know you'll let a lot of games get away from you like that if you don't. Uh, stay consistent for a full 48 minutes. That's what the Lakers need to work on. I think if they get that down, they're they're a tough team to beat. No, no question. You're, you're spot on. Both of you guys are spot on. And I think part of the reason, again, it's going back to, to seems like a revolving door here. Yeah. Part of the reason why that, that um, you know, it seems like that complacency sets in is because they'll take a lead and they'll get out. And then LeBron goes to the bench, mm-hmm. right? And then it's, what do you do from an offensive standpoint in terms of guys creating shots for themselves and for others? And, you know, one of the other things I, I would say, Deion Waiters is important as well. Um, uh, answer your question, Jonathan. I would say Deion Waiters is important as well in this regard, because when they're matching up against the Clippers, one of the things that, that Patrick Beverly does, he works as sort of that igniter, that, that agitator, right? That irritant that guy that kind of sets the temperature for the Clippers. Well, Deion Waiters can play that same role for the Lakers, right? Because he's not scared. He's not scared. And, and, you know, sometimes there may be some shots that he'll take that may be questionable. But when you look at what the Lakers need, I don't think you can coach that out of them because sometimes when you have guys that are creative offensively, mm-hmm. there's a tendency for people to try and overcoach them. Oh, man, we got to harness it. We got to bring it in. You got to sometimes let guys that are shot fabricators and shot creators, you got to let them do what they do. Because when you start trying to harness that, now instead of them being reactionary, they're thinking all the time now. Yeah. Should I take this shot? Should I Should I not? And so you take away from them being aggressive. And the Lakers need him to be aggressive. And they need him to be fearless. Especially when Patrick Beverly comes in and tries to say, and, and Montrez Harrell, when they come in and try to do what they do, because those guys will try to buffalo you. Yeah. Lakers need to answer that. 
right? 100%, yeah. And, and they need to answer that. And Dion and Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith and Marquise Morris are the type that, man, you know what? That doesn't bother me, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so I think that complacency that you, you guys speak of, yeah, a big part of it is just being complacent and taking your foot off the gas. The other part is, of it is when they go to their second unit, the personnel changes and LeBron's not out there, mm -hmm. right? And so now it's who's going to create offense for the other guys. And then to you guys' point about AD when he gets doubled in the post, if he kicks it out to a shooter, those guys have to make those. Yeah. Right? Danny Green was open a lot on Saturday, miss wide open. But that's part of the NBA. You will miss something. That's makes part them. of it. It's the make or miss league. That's right. And, they, and so, you know, they got to make them. They have to make them. If you look at, you know, and we talked about this before, Big Baby Jonathan, man, like, you know, and, and Fred Van Vliet had a career high today, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and so again. I can say this, um, doesn't Fred doesn't surprise me because in my days at Nike, I was very high on Fred, spent a lot of time with him, you know, um, wanted him in Phoenix as well. Um, so, uh, so I've, again, that advantage that I'm saying by having more than just an NBA contact with that player. Um, mm -hmm. But when you start talking about experience, one of the reasons why Fred Van Vliet, you know, people will say this a lot, you know, say Memphis, if they are able to hold on to the eight spot, let's just say that. And then they, they play the Lakers in the first round and say they get swept or say it's a gentleman's sweep and they get beaten five. And people are like, man, why would you push to get in the playoffs when you can go be in the lottery again? Why would you push to get beat in the playoffs so you can go get beat in the first round by the Lakers? Here's why. Because there's nothing better for a young player than experience. Remember, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam played uh, 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 OG Ananobi when he came back. Those yep. guys played a major role for the Raptors down the stretch, right? Yeah. Did you know where they got that experience? Playoffs. When, when, yeah. When DeMar DeRozan was there and they were going to the Eastern Conference Finals and getting beat by the Cavs. Yeah, when, I remember and that, OG yeah. Ananobi was guarding LeBron James on an island by himself yeah. so if you're guarding lebron james on an island by yourself there isn't anything else that you need to see in the nba mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah right? yeah that's a good point so there there isn't anything you've seen it all you yeah. guard that cat by yourself you've seen it all yeah right i, I feel so like now, i feel like toronto is the team that people need to watch out for that they yeah. could get back to the finals no yeah. question they're looking like a sleeper right about now yeah yeah but, uh, so you get those young players right and those young players now, you know, those guys in their first and second years in the NBA are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so now they make it to the finals and the stage isn't too big for them. So that's why if you're Ja Morant and, and, and Brandon Clark and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks, that's why that experience of going and playing against LeBron in the first round, we might get beaten four or five. Yeah. But that experience – it's nothing better than that for a young team. Yeah, most definitely, man. But uh, Antonio Williams, you have like four minutes left on the meeting on the time. So uh, thank yes, you for sir. coming on. Laker Talk 101, man. And it's always a pleasure. We'll talk soon, man. Like, Yes, sir. Appreciate you, big baby Jonathan. Appreciate you, Jonathan. Let's do this again, man. You guys be safe. All right, you too. Take care, man.